שבוע טוב, בדבוך. We find ourselves uh, here once again. It's a familiar place. Deja vu. We are once again at the cusp of a new year. And we stand together, sit together for Selichot, ready, hopefully, to at least contemplate, to anticipate the year ahead of us. And I want to take this moment to share a thought with you about tefillah, because Selichot begins the process of tefillah. We are going to be praying, many of us together right here in this shul, for the next several weeks, We're going to have Selichot every morning, besides for the regular prayers. We're going to have Rosh Hashanah, it's very intense. We're going to have Aseret Yumei Teshuvah. We're going to have Yom Kippur, it doesn't end with Yom Kippur. Then we have Sukkot, we have Chol Amoed. we have Hoshana Rabbah. Then we have Shmini Atzeret, and the marathon ends with Simchat Torah, when we celebrate the changeover. From the end of the Torah, Bezot Abraham, begin once again, the new cycle, the new year. And we're going to be doing a lot of praying. We're going to be standing, sitting, hours in prayer. And every year, invariably, somebody comes up to me and says to me, what is all this praying about? What am I saying? What are all these words? You know, you want to go to the shul where they miss out the most bits with the small writing, Right? Because you don't want to say everything, it's too much. What are we praying so much for? A guy tells me, I go to a shul, they have an hour break on Yom Kippur. The other guy says to me, an hour? We have two hours. The other guy says, two hours, Baruch Hashem, we have four. In other words, it's so intense for us, we can't face all this prayer. So I want to share with you for a few moments... Some ideas about prayer. By the way, these ideas don't just apply to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and everything else. They apply to every single day. Every time you open a siddur, every time you pray, you should be thinking about some of the ideas that I'm going to share with you tonight. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those ads for medicine on TV or heard them on the radio. Sometimes they end, usually they end, with a very strange statement. Once you've understood, as it were, on your layman terms, the effectiveness of the particular medication, the advert tells you, some voice at the end will tell you, ask your doctor to prescribe you this medication. You ever heard that? Ask your doctor to prescribe you this, but then give you the name of the medication. Make sure next time you visit your doctor, and they encourage you to do it very, very soon, make sure he prescribes you or she prescribes you with this particular medication. As if you know, <laughs> suddenly you've become the big expert. You watched an advert for 34 seconds. You have now become a big expert in this illness. Ask your doctor for this medication. The Dublin Maggid has a, a parable about this. I mean, he was... Speaking 200 years, more than 200 years ago, he has a parable. It says it comes to understanding tefillah. Imagine a person comes to their doctor and says, you know what, I'm really feeling terrible, doctor. 
I need your help. Yeah, sure, I'll help you. What is it that you need? I'm really feeling sick. Please prescribe me with a high cholesterol diet. I want to take three packs of cigarettes a day, half a bottle of whiskey, six pack of beer, cream cakes. I need cream cakes. Without cream cakes, I'm not going to survive. Come on. He's going to say to you, you're an idiot. These are the things that are causing you the problems. If you stop with your cholesterol and you stop smoking, you stop drinking, then everything's going to be okay. If I prescribe you with these things, it's just going to make things worse. Tfilo. The concept of prayer is very tricky because we think we know what is best for us. We come in front of God and we imagine somehow that we know what the right thing is for us to ask. It's like the guy at the end of the advert telling you, go and ask your doctor to prescribe this medication. But maybe, maybe we're just not asking for the things that are good for us. We shouldn't be asking for beer and cream cakes, right? We need to be asking for what's good for us. The problem is we ask for things that may not necessarily be good for us and then we don't get them and we start getting angry with God. I asked you for these things and I didn't get them. You know, it's a bit of a chutzpah. What's the point of prayer if every time I ask for something, I don't get it? You know, we have a prayer that we say every single day. It's in the first bracha of Shemona Esrei. I think you've said it many, many times in your life. Melech Oizer Umayshia Umagain. Melech, king. What does Oizer mean? It means God's going to help us, right? Oizer. Lazor. Moshiach. What does Moshiach mean? It means save. He's going to save us. What does Mogain mean? He's going to protect us, shield us. He's already helped us, if he's answered our prayers, and he's already saved us. What exactly is he protecting us from? We're helped and we're saved. Why do we need to add the word Mogain? And the answer is that you need protection from things that you don't even know that you need protection from. You're walking down the street, there's dangers on every side. You walk into a public place, there's people there, it could be crazy, they could hurt you. You eat some food, it could be full of some type of germ and it could make you sick. There's all kinds of things that you need protection from. You're not even aware that you need protection. The Vilna Gong has an additional layer of protection. He says, you not only need protection from the things you don't know you need protection from, you need protection from yourself. My father-in-law always puts it so beautifully. He says, a person can do themselves more harm than a thousand enemies. You are the greatest danger to yourself. Melech, Oizer, Umoshiach. That's at one level. He's going to help us, going to save us. Umogain. But he's going to protect us. Please, God, protect us from ourselves. And you know what the greatest protection is that we need from ourselves? The prayer that we're going to ask for something that may cause us harm. Prayer is a very powerful force. God put us on this world so that we can have a relationship with him. And as part, as an integral part of that relationship, 
We ask him for things. We communicate with God. And God responds to that communication. But you do need to know what you're asking for. You know, I'm going to put it to you slightly differently. There's many things that we ask for that we think and we assume are good things. I mean, today in our shul, every week, we have a prayer for the safety of Israel and all the people who live in Israel. That's a good prayer, right? We pray for people who are sick. We want them to get better. We pray for, pray for people who are suffering or in danger. Very important prayers. And sometimes they're not answered. Feels right to pray for these things. Feels completely right. What are we doing wrong? Which kind of crazy person would say that such a tefillah is just wrong or misplaced? But what happens when they're not answered? What happens to the tefillah when it's not answered? God put us here to communicate. We're communicating the things that not only we have the right to communicate, but we know it is right to communicate. But they didn't work. So I'm going to tell you something I know about prayer. I don't know it from myself, although I do. I'm relying on a chazal. What was the most intense prayer that anybody ever uttered during the course of a Jewish calendar year? So the answer is very simple because we talk about it on Yom Kippur. What happens on, on Yom Kippur? The Kohen Gadol, after having prepared himself and secluded himself for quite some time, goes not just into the Beit HaMikdash, but into the Holy of Holies, into the holiest place geographically that we have in this physical world. And he prays. Do you know what he says in his prayers? So it's, he says all the types of things that you might expect a Kohen Gadol to say on the holiest day of the year in the holiest place on the planet. He asks for the welfare of the Jewish nation. He asks that things should go well, etc., etc. You know, we have it. In our machzor, we say it every year. The things that the Kohen Gadol asked for during the course of his prayer on Yom Kippur. But there's one thing Chazal mentioned, something that he asks for, which is extremely strange. It's the final thing that he asks for during the course of his tefillot. He says... God, please, I'm begging you, please, don't listen to the Ovrei Derachim. Don't listen to any of those silly travelers. Please, make sure that if they pray to you, you don't answer their prayers. What is that about? So you know that there were many people who traveled. They used to travel every year, three times a year, to come backwards and forwards to and from Jerusalem. Why? Because it was called Shalosh Regalim. Three times a year, we're obligated as Jews to appear, as it were, at the temple and to honor God by visiting Jerusalem. And the people who were going on the journey to and from Jerusalem, the last thing that they wanted while they were traveling was rain. Who wants to be rained on when they're traveling? So they would go on the journey and every day, they would pray, please God, we don't want there to be any rain. The problem is, and I know you know that uh, Eretz Yisrael has a very similar climate to California, the one thing that everybody needs is rain. If you have a farm, if you're growing crops and you want a good harvest, 
You need rain. So the Kohen Gadol had a prayer at the holiest site in this world on the holiest day of the year. Please, God, don't listen to the prayers of the of Reid Rachim, of those who are journeying to and from Jerusalem. Do you know what that tells you? That even though God has heard the prayers of all the people who've prayed for rain, and all those people who want rain, they need it for Parnassah, it's going to be good for the country, the economy, the society in general, they could all be thwarted by a serious, heartfelt prayer from somebody who's on their journey and doesn't want to get washed out. That is, my friends, the power of prayer. The power of prayer that one person traveling to Jerusalem or back home could say, please God, I don't want there to be any rain, and that prayer could succeed. None of these travelers were reshoim, they weren't wicked, they were righteous people. They weren't trying to undermine the economy or cause harm to those people who would suffer as a result from there not being any rain. And yet, their prayer is so powerful that it could cause absolute havoc in the country. The Mepharshim there talk about the fact that those who pray have something called kavana. They have a strong devotional feeling during the course of prayer. What is kavana? We know what it is. We think we know what it is. We, in English, it's usually translated as concentration. You concentrate during prayer. It's not quite a good, it's not the best translation. It means that you're very focused, but you're focused in a devotional way. But there's two different types of kavana. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah tells a story about two people who were sentenced to death. They were on death row. Let's call them Reuven and Shimon. And Reuven and Shimon were sitting on death row, and tomorrow is the designated time for them to get executed. It's a Gemara and Rosh Hashanah. And they're both sitting there, as you can imagine, praying. They're praying that somehow the sentence will be commuted and they won't be executed. The next day, Reuven was set free and Shimon was executed. And people were very intrigued. That's what the Gemara says. Why would one have been executed and the other one set free? What happened here? They were both, they were both sentenced to death. And the Gemara says that the rabbis had discovered that Reuven had davened what's referred to in the Gemara as a tefillah shalema. What's a tefillah shalema? A complete tefillah. Shimon, on the other hand, had not. Reuven did it, but Shimon didn't. He didn't somehow, he hadn't mustered a tefillah shalema. Says Rashi there, what did Reuven do that made his tefillah tefillah shalema that Shimon didn't do? Simple answer. Niskavein. He had kavana. I've never heard a crazier thing in my life. Imagine a guy is sitting on death row and he's put together all his koichas and he's praying that he should have his sentence commuted. Are you going to tell me that he wasn't niskavein? Are you going to tell me he didn't have kavana? That he wasn't focused on making sure that he won't get executed? What does it mean that Reuven did a, uh, a tefillah shalema but Shimon didn't? 
What, he was looking at his watch? I can't believe I'm still in Davening. I need to go out to Kiddush Club. I mean, what, what, what's this about? But that's what Rashi says, Niskavin. Rev. Elia Lapian, who was the Rosh Hashiba, first in London, at the Yitzchayim Yeshiba, and later on in Kfar Hasidim, has a fascinating answer. And one which he proves from time after time in Tanakh. He says you can have kavana, but you have the wrong kind of kavana. There's two types of kavana. One kind is a kavana which is accompanied by yiush. Do you know what the word yiush means? You've given up. Yes, you've got a lot of kavana, you believe in God, but somehow you don't believe that your prayer can work. You don't believe in the power of prayer. You don't really, truly think that as a result of your prayer, God is going to answer you and things can change. The other type of kavana is a kavana of belief, of hope, of anticipation. I can be saved. Reuven's tefillah shalema was, I'm standing here on the eve before I'm about to get executed, but I know I can get a reprieve. It's possible. And anybody who was looking at this guy would think, them, are you crazy? You've been sentenced to death. What chance do you have? No, it's possible. Shimon is davening and he's hoping that somehow in the back of his mind, but maybe even in the front of his mind, he's thinking to himself, it's not possible. It can't happen. I'll never be saved. You know what? He was right. Because the next day he was executed. It was a kavana accompanied by Yehush. Let's look at some Torah stories. Chazal tell us, and we're going to read about it on Rosh Hashanah, Hogar and Yishmael. Hogar and Yishmael. They're thrown out of Avraham's house and Hogar is crying. Say, Chazal, her tefillah wasn't answered. Why wasn't her tefillah answered? Do you know why her tefillah wasn't answered? Because she didn't believe it was possible for her son to be saved. Do you know whose tefillah was answered that Yishmael was saved? Yishmael's tefillah. Yishmael truly believed that he could be saved. And you know what? He was saved. Similarly, we have this differentiation that Chazal make between Noach and Avraham. Plan A was for Noach to be the leader of the world in terms of God's belief. And God came to him and said to him, the whole world is about to be destroyed. And do you know what happened? He built a Teva, took him 120 years, and at no point did he make any effort to convince anyone to change their ways, nor did he pray for them to be saved. Let's contrast this with Avram's attitude towards Sodom and Amorah. What did Avram Avinu do? As soon as he heard that Sodom and Amorah are going to be destroyed, he prays. Even if the city is entirely unworthy, if there's just a few souls there, please save Sodom. Do you know what Noach's problem was? The Chazal tell us he waited until the water was up to his neck until he went into the table. He never, he believed, but he never really believed. 
He never got to that level of Abraham Avinu, of Moshe Rabbeinu, the great remonstrator with God. At each and every opportunity that he had to either give up or make sure that he davened for the Jewish nation. His first duty was, I pray for the Jewish nation, I believe in their survival, I believe in the power of prayer. Prayer is powerful. Not every prayer is answered. Abraham Avinu's prayer for Sodom was not answered. But that doesn't mean it's not powerful. It doesn't mean it can't work. Not every prayer that Moshe Rabbeinu made was answered. We read in the, at the beginning of Devarim. What was he praying for? God, please change your mind. Allow me into Eretz Yisrael. We know there's one form of prayer which is based on that posuk in the Torah. And yet it's a prayer that was never answered. But Noach never even tried. Noach never even bothered. Noach never even believed that his generation was going to be saved or could be saved or that any prayer, even if he prayed, would make any difference to the eventual outcome. And it could be he was right. But the power of prayer goes beyond the answer that you receive. It's not about God's response. It's about the power of you being able to communicate with God and meaning it. Rav Cook famously said that people struggle with the concept of davening even if they believe in davening because they don't believe in themselves. They don't truly believe that they can make a difference. By the way, that's why people run to rabbis to pray for them. Because, yeah, God will answer the rabbi's prayer. Why should I bother praying? God's never going to listen to me. Who knows? Maybe he's going to listen to you more than he'll listen to the rabbi. Have you ever tried? Do you know what it means to pray? Why are you relying on somebody else to act as your agent? You have the most powerful opportunity to employ and engage the power of prayer. I want to end with this story. It's a fascinating story. You know the, the famous episode of Miriam Shiva being saved from Lithuania, coming via Kobe, Japan in 1940 and arriving in Shanghai, China. The entire yeshiva, hundreds of boys, somehow made it out of the hell of the Holocaust and survived until the end of the Second World War and beyond in Shanghai, China. And their most prominent leader, their rabbinic inspiration, was a man called Rabbi Cheskel Rabchatskel Levenstein. He was the mashkiach later of Ponovich yeshiva. Rabchatskel Levenstein was a very holy man. He came actually from a Hasidic background. They were Vurka Hasidim. Somehow he fell into the seviva of the Litvak yeshiva world and he became a mashkiach in the Mir yeshiva. And he was deeply devoted to prayer. In fact, he prayed for so long that you know it's the custom to wait for the rabbi to finish Shmona Esrei before the chazan begins the repetition. But his prayers were so long that he told that none of the boys, if they're the chazan, should ever wait for him to finish. Because if you wait for me to finish, we'll spend a whole day waiting because you're never going to daven as long as I daven. So just 
you, once everybody's finished, you just go ahead, I'll finish whenever I finish. And that's what they did, except for the first year, the very first year that they were in Shanghai on Yom Kippur, Na'ila, the boys among themselves decided that they're going to wait for Abhaskal Levenstein to finish. At the end of Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur's already over. So they all sat down, and they're, they're just learning then in the makeshift base medrash. It's a whole story in itself where they were learning. And they waited 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour. An hour after Yom Kippur was over, Rav Chasko Levenstein takes his three steps back, and he looks around, and he sees everybody sitting there waiting for him. And now the chazan gets up and is going to daven Neila. Okay? He says, before you start Neila, I want to tell you something about prayer. I want to tell you because here we are. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We have no idea if we're going to live or die. It's 1940 in Shanghai, China. And we have no idea what is going to be our fate. And you're wondering, now it's Yom Kippur and we're praying and who knows if our prayers are going to be answered. I want to tell you about prayer. And he illustrated prayer with the following parable. He said, imagine there's a man who makes a lot of money and he decides he's going to build a chesed facility, a building which is devoted to chesed. It's only going to be for simchas, for guests. Everything about this building is going to be about helping other people, helping the world. And he decides he's going to build it himself. And slowly but surely, together with people who are helping him, he builds this facility, this building, whatever it is. And on the final day, he invites the whole community so that they can see him putting in the final few bricks. And he climbs up the ladder to put the final brick on the top of the building. And the ladder falls down and he collapses and he's on the ground and he passes out. And he wakes up and he looks around him and everyone's looking over him and he says, Oi! My chesed house fell down. And the people around him say, no, no, no. You fell down, but your chesed house is still standing. That, said Reb Chaskel Levenstein, is prayer. Sometimes we fall down, we pass out, terrible things happen, and we think to ourselves, what happened to our prayers? Our prayers fell down. There's nothing left. The building has collapsed. It's a heap of rubble. No, that's not the case at all, said Reb Chaskel Levenstein. The house still stands. Every single brick in the same place that you put it. You passed out. Now you've woken up. Every prayer that we utter is another brick in this beautiful facility that we are building. And each and every time that we fall and we think the house has fallen down, it hasn't fallen down. That building still stands in all its glory and in all its splendor. That is tefillah. You can fall. You can fail. You can see things not go according to plan. It can all seem to go awry. 
But even though you fell down, your house is still standing. Every prayer, every brick, every slichus, every ovinu malkeinu, every oshamnu bagadnu, every single word of every single prayer that we will utter together over the next few weeks is another brick in this beautiful building called tefillah that we are going to be participating in, whatever the outcome, whatever's going to happen over the next few months after Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, etc. That building will remain, that building will stand, and we will continue to build on it so that we can have a beautiful new year, that we can have a year together of joy, of happiness, of hatzlacha, and of success in everything that we try. May God be with us, and may we have a Shana Tova. Thank you.